guys. Welcome to the Jesus Name News Podcast. I am here with Derek, and this week we are talking about the interesting topic of the Tower of Babel. What is it? What does it mean? And how did they build a tower to heaven? <laughs> well, I is mean, it? I mean, I is mean, it? <laughs> well, yeah, is it a tower to heaven? Like, what is it? Like, what, what was going on here exactly? And I mean... Just, just reading the story, I don't know how anybody reads the story and doesn't have just tons of questions. I mean, it's not even a long narrative, you know? But, like, well, just reading it, you're just like, wait, what? Yeah, and I feel like it's nestled, like, in between generations. Like, it's telling generations uh, of Noah, then it's telling gener- <laughs> like generations of Shem. And it's, like, nestled in there, like, oh, by the way, this happened. So... It's not, there's a lot of like com- outside commentary where you, whereas like you get a lot of commentary about Abraham and you get a lot of commentary about Noah, but you don't get a lot of commentary about this one singular event where God's like, I need to go down there and see what they're doing. <laughs> it's like very out of nowhere. And it's just like all of a sudden, like, oh yeah, this happened. And it was a huge, clearly it's a huge deal. I mean, language is a huge deal. Yeah. Uh, Well, and what's interesting, and and I'm not going to go in depth with this, is that like some very prominent people use this to say that this is where races come from, and I'm like, stop, just quit. That's not where races. (laughs) I mean, I I mean, let's be real here. That's a better a better explanation than uh, Mark. You know, Noah's cursed son is one group, and. Mark you know, again. the oldest son are the white yeah. people who are way better than everybody else. Like some people say, and just to be clear for any um, filters or uh, people listening to this for content, we are not espousing that. We're just acknowledging that there are awful people who say that. Yeah, they're they're terrible theologies that definitely yeah, terrible are. terrible theologies, but they exist and and I think that that this is where race comes from is is along those same lines although not quite as racistly terrible just generally bad <laughs> generally bad and theologically flawed <laughs> at best. yeah flawed I think that's a better way to put it yeah. it's flawed but not evil <laughs> yeah uh, but. You know, before we get started, like diving into this, I always, if you know of like the shows that I lead up, I like to start up with context. <laughs> so, Genesis chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 9 say, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And settled there, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they made, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth, of all the earth, 
and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Um, so, I mean, the obvious was the entire earth one language. Well, verse 1 says the whole earth had one language. However, verse 2 goes on to talk about a very specific region called the Plain of Shinar. Um, but first, let's kind of break down that word earth. Because, again, if you listen to any podcast that I lead up, I like I like a lot of Hebrew and Greek context to this. So, earth in Hebrew is Eretz. And the KJV actually translates translates it as such um, land it's translated as land 1543 times it's translated as earth 712 times uh, country 140 times ground 98 times world four times away three times common one time field one time nations one time wilderness one time you know um, I'm looking up strongs for this. Yeah, I don't know if you have it. My my favorite definition is the uh, seventh definition of its B entry, um, which is Sheol. Yes, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> um, wait, so so uh, <laughs> I saw that. Um, I guess we're back there, huh? Well, I was going to go that way, and then I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm I mean, going down that path again. Why does every topic in this podcast end up back on that? I don't know. Uh, it's, it's almost like Jesus wants to get the point across. Hell's not a place you want to be. Uh, or death, you know, eternal separation from God. It's not a place you want to be. Um, but either way, because if you couple verse 1 with verse 2... I feel like this is talking about a specific area, a known area. And really, you have to keep in mind that the history that is found in Genesis was an oral history passed down through generations until Moses finally chose to write it down. Well, Moses presumably chose to write it down. Uh, this is right after Noah and his family get come off the ark. So there has presumably been enough time uh, for the area to repopulate. Or, as it says in verse 2, people were migrating from the east. This is the thing that confuses me, though. Okay? We know where Noah's Ark was. Mount Ararat, yep. Um, Babel's west of there. Well, here and here's the other thing. Because <laughs> Babel's Babylon. Like, I, I mean, I know they're not 100% the same thing, but like, we think the tower what don't we think the tower of babel was in the region of babylon which is yeah, in iran which is east like yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's in the opposite direction well it's it's in like the iraq area more or yeah. less you know um but ararat is and that's actually my next point ararat is located in modern day at the border of modern day turkey iran and armenia which is puts the land of Shinar, which is situated between and around this the Tigris and Euphrates, which are in modern day Iran, or sorry, Iraq, um, 
however, some place it closer to the Persian Gulf and some place it further northwest and others say it compasses the whole entire delta of the two rivers. Either way you go, it's somewhere around it's somewhere in and around the Tigris and Euphrates, which puts it technically like southwest, south depending on how you place it, south, southwest of Mount Ararat. So just weird that eight people somehow populated the whole earth enough that they could migrate to the west and then unknowingly migrate back to the east. Yeah. And I mean, this would, but the, the plan of Shinar is a direct reference to the beginnings of Nimrod's kingdom. Uh, it actually says that in Genesis 10 and 10, it says the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Iraq, uh, Echad, and Kana, and the land of Shinar. Okay, were you but, using the Hebrew words there? Uh, well, it's it's the ESV version of those words. So, but um, I thought you, I heard, did you say Iraq? Yeah, Iraq. Uh, it's E R E C H, not not Iraq. Well, I know, but I, I would imagine that they're relatively related. Probably. Um, <laughs> but is this referring to the entire Earth or a known area? More than likely, again, it's referring to the land of Shinar, or what we would know as ancient Babylonia or Mesopotamia. Right? So, it really, though, depends on your view of the flood. If you view the flood um, as a global flood, you're not you're you're going to view verse one where it says the whole earth had one language as the entire earth. Usually, if you view the flood as a local flood, as that it flooded out an entire area and killed everything within that area, you're probably going to more align that this is ancient Mesopotamia, Babylonia, and Nimrod's kingdom in that area. So these two thought processes are very, are coupled together very closely. Um, but, and really, I'm not here to argue either side of that, to be honest with you. So uh, just third theory, possibly. Couldn't it be related to... Moses or whoever the writer is of this writing about what they know of. And again, I mean, depending on their time frame, Babylon was already pretty seen as evil. I mean, you have Egypt as the great evil at one point, but then it flips to Babylon. Well, yeah. And, and, goes back. and I, and I definitely agree with you. Uh, that was something that i I didn't put it in the notes, but I definitely wanted yeah. to address. Uh, yeah, Moses, I personally, I, I kind of, this is the area they knew. They probably didn't even know, per se, that there was German tribes or European tribes or, you know, these ancient uh, precursors to Greek to the Greeks, you know, Uh they probably didn't have a clue of that just yet. Yeah. Um, but they were, were probably, as you said, Moses was probably well aware of, you know, 
the ba- the Babylonian Empire, the Neo Babylonian Empire per se. Uh, and you're talking about like a Neo of the Neo Babylonian Empire at this point. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, those are the three things that you can work with. Like, is it a global flood and a, is it talking about the language of the entire earth or is it a local flood talking about a local language or is it Moses just simply referring to what he knew at the time? And I mean, I, Personally, I felt the latter of those two are the more yeah, relevant ones. But And I mean, at the end of the day, either way, Moses, who wrote this, and I mean, let's be real here. Nowhere in the book of Genesis or in the book, first five books of the Bible, does he ever claim that God specifically gave him this knowledge? Right? Yeah, I mean, it, so, like, people... so there, there isn't like, thus saith the Lord, I created this way and this happened with these dates it's these are our histories and i wrote them down yeah i mean because this was an oral history yeah and so being an oral history that i mean admitted by the history is a thousand years before it was written down i i mean I know it sounds weird saying this about the Bible, but you have to take some of its exactness with a grain of salt. Well, and to the, to that point, we've talked about this before. Symbology was. Yes. That, that's what I meant. I more meant you can't look at it with the exactness of like George Washington crossed the Delaware river and we have the exact point on the river. Right. He crossed in the boat with a manifest of all the men who are on that boat, you know, like, yeah. The history, that. <laughs> history that they designed was also moral history. It wasn't just teaching us this is what happened. It was moral history. And that moral history for Moses was to lead the Hebrews, the Israelites, to God as the one true creator. Uh, and that that's how history was kept for generations upon generations upon generations. I mean, look at the Greeks. They did something very similar. You know, the Romans did something very similar. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, after I would say 100 AD, even maybe even further on where all this exactness about history became a thing. Uh, there was so much symbology used in history especially in ancient times uh but that brings me to the next point like a tower to heaven <laughs> a tower like and i, I told larry this like no, when I, the, what we were just talking about was so interesting i totally forgot about like the main event of this conversation which clearly is always going to be the tower to heaven but like i was just like so into it i was just like yeah and I was like, oh, the Tower of Heaven, that's still coming. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I'm super psyched right now. Uh, verse 4 says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. Uh, people say that God was mad about the city. God wasn't mad about the city. God was mad about the tower. Uh, but... A historical record of this, uh, I was watching a historical documentary on YouTube from the Smithsonian Channel 
there are ancient ruins of the city of Babylon in Iraq. Uh, and in those ancient ruins, there is a tablet of, uh, or there was a tablet found. It's now part of a private collection. And it details a tower, which we would know as a ziggurat, uh, that was stepped and it had about seven tiers. It's designer the infamous Nebuchadnezzar II, uh, the most famous ruler of Babylon. Wait, isn't that like... Yes. <laughs> that's like way later than this, though. But, and that's this is where I'm going with this. So oh many people were mobilized from the far reaches of his kingdom to build this ziggurat. And this gives us an idea of what this tower probably would have looked like. And in fact, the details of the construction that it details below the like, blueprint, per se, etched in stone are the details of its building. People were pulled from all over the kingdom to build this ziggurat. That's eerily similar to what we see here in Genesis chapter 11. Um, and it gives us kind of an idea of like, what this could be based on. Or, you know, what what we're working with here, right? Um, however, most people would say, well, that's way later. Okay, but it still gives us an idea because ziggurats were not a thing that just stopped happening. But it was a constant progression in Babylonian history where they build these ziggurats. And um, most people would probably leave it at verse 9 of Genesis chapter 11 and say, all right, it's done, it's over. Right? Like, do you think of the Tower of Babel really being mentioned after that? Not really. Well, Deuteronomy 32, verses 7 through 9. It says, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you when the most high gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fits the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And... Here's the thing, the KJV, where it says sons of God, the KJV translated that as sons of Israel. Okay, so the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are much older manuscripts, say sons of God. And therefore, sons of God must be the correct uh, interpretation. Oh, now we're getting back into Nephilim again? <laughs> well... This is where you can kind of go in two different ways. This chapter, Deuteronomy 32, is the Song of Moses. It comes after Joshua's commission uh, to lead the people of Israel into the Promised Land. Essentially, in verses 8 and 9, it is implied that the actions of Babel caused God to disinherit other nations. And he chose a specific set of people, the Hebrews starting with Abraham, who would become Israel. So my question to you is if, and this is why I believe sons of God is the correct interpretation of this. 
why is he dividing mankind according to the number of the sons of Israel? Yeah, and Israel know. hadn't existed yet. Yeah. That's kind of the problem with that. Um, the other issue is, again, the Dead Sea Scrolls contain manuscripts much older than what the KJV was based on, presumably. Uh, and they all say sons of God. But going back to your Nephilim comment, to me, this sounds... If this, if this tower was a ziggurat, as most believe, a ziggurat for ancient Mesopotamians was a place where the gods came down. It was seen as a gateway for the gods. So now you're seeing that we'll, be to, we'll build a tower to the heavens. Uh, it wasn't necessarily about man getting to heaven. It was about the gods coming down. It gave people assurance that the God, that that specific God was with them in this city when they looked at that tower. And to me, this sounds eerily similar to the Sons of God reference in Genesis 6. I mean, yeah. it's, even, it's even stated in verse 9, the Sons of God. It's also interesting to me that to the number of the Sons of God, right? And Sons yep. of God... Angels. is used to reference angels mm -hmm. and here's the thing <laughs> you know I, in in sunday school this morning we talked about you know the we talked about jesus's temptation and how the devil offers him all the nations of the world right and it's this constant thing where the devil the devil like outright says that's been given to me yeah well okay the devil was definitely an angel, right? Yeah. And so he was definitely an angel and he was given portions of mankind, which definitely plays into this. Mm -hmm. Same thing where God divided the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God and according to somehow some kind of order of angelic hosts. But God kept a portion of mankind for himself for some reason. Abraham and his Abraham and yeah. his descendants. And I mean, again, it's 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 like it's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't understand why. I don't I don't get it. I don't understand what these angelic beings would have to do with any kind of governance of us. Well there there's especially kind of since they don't appear to I mean, and I, I get mythology on some level, yeah. like people used it to tell stories and make examples, but like it, it, I guess where is the myth and where is the truth in this kind of language is what we want. We're kind of getting to and what we admit up front that we're probably never going to get to right now, well, but like, it, that's what makes it so interesting, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and and that's why I say, like, sons of God, when you when you look at it, the sons of God, we, according to Hebrew theology, was, as you said, those angelic, fallen angelic beings in Genesis 6. There are some people out there that believe that God allowed, the, allowed these other nations to go after these other gods, these fallen angels, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we talked about that with Nephilim 
if you want to go back and listen to that episode, we talked about how some people believe that these angels took on the characteristic and name of that God. But and, and if you haven't listened to that episode, seriously, go listen to it. Yes. Uh, but then there's this other idea that I, I kind of thought about was reprobate, which we've talked about last season, but it made me think about reprobate where God is kind of giving them over to this mm-hmm. rebellious idea. That's my opinion. Uh, so yeah, it does seem like it's eerily similar to Genesis six, but to me, it it's like God is saying, okay, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. And I'm going to go at, find my portion, my people. Uh, and if we remember in Genesis six, it records the Nephilim as being known as these men of renown. However, renown comes from the Hebrew shame. Or, as we would see it transliterated, shem. As soon as you said shame, 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 whatever, shame, shem, whatever, the first one, I was just like, seriously? <laughs> so... In the KJV, it's translated that that renown. Uh, renown in the KJV is that word shim or shame. Uh, and in the KJV, it's translated as name 832 times. That's the most it is translated. And it is the same exact word that's used when people say, let us make a name for ourselves. What do the people at Babel want to do? They wanted to make a name. And you can read this men of renown as men of the name. <sighs> this tower was meant to further unify the people under the authority of an ancient Babylonian God, a, a an affront. It wasn't that the tower was going to actually reach heaven. It was that this was an affront to the divine order that God had set in place after the flood. It goes back to the same idea of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was an affront to and rebellion to God. It was an affront to the almighty power of God and a sign of man's attempt to do things his own way without the one true God. So the command from God after the flood, it was the same exact thing that was told to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. God had wiped the slate clean with the flood and expected for Noah and his descendants to cling to him as the one true God. That didn't happen. Instead, just a couple chapters later, we see that the people of this area are choosing to unite and follow other gods. And they want to make a name, a shim, for themselves. However, verse 10 starts out. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 10, it says, These are the generations of Shem. Name. <laughs> this chapter 11, it ends with the death of Terah. And the mentioning of a man that we all know and love, 
Abram. They begin their journey out of the land of Ur, which is in Mesopotamia, the same exact kingdom that encompassed Babel. Their journey to Cain, they're trying to get to Canaan and ultimately they don't make it and settle in the land of Haran. Then chapter 12 begins. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name Shem great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God disinherited the other people because of their rebellion and chose Abram and his descendants as God's way of drawing people back to him. So who is it that Jesus' lineage is traced through in Luke? Shem. Name. So even at the beginning of ba and at Babel, there is this struggle between a name for people, gods, and Yahweh, the great I am. Oh, and we're about to get apostolic up in this place, <laughs> and it all goes back to the name? But it is through Abraham <laughs> we have the father of faith, and all the families of the earth being blessed. How? So let's go to where Babel is reconciled. So Acts chapter 2. And the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, confused, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we, are, we were born? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it is, as it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to, in, to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and my handmaidens I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. 
The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered with, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is done to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about three thousand souls. The nations that had been disinherited and divided from the promise of God at Babel were present, on the day of Pentecost, God was beginning, the, beginning to bring those divided nations back together under the authority of God. If you don't know, Larry's just sitting okay. here laughing. I, I mean, <laughs> that that was that was incredible. But there's more. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm sure there is more because 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 you gave me an idea of how long your show notes are. And uh, oh, and, and just so you know, every once in a while, what we find when we're studying what we're doing is so great that we tell the other person they're not allowed to like read their our notes until after we talk. This is definitely one of those times. So I, I'm I really have no idea what he's about to say. So now let's break down what Peter just said. <laughs> All right. So back at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, an apostolic's favorite verse. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 39 says, And the promises to you, your children, and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Repentance, the affront made against God, by the attempted building of the Tower of Babel, the sins and the rebellion of the people. From creation to Noah to Babel are now rectified. 
Baptism in the name of Jesus. Larry, you pour out a water, a, a bottle of water. Where does it go? I mean, I guess it it. Where it does it flows settle? downward as low as it can go? So it goes to the lowest spot. Yeah. So it's through baptism, God would cancel the debt owed for sin and wash us. Again, if water finds the lowest spot, it finds the very depths of us going back to the beginning and washes us of those sins. And baptism in the name of Jesus, by the way, in case you want us to be clear, baptism in the name of Jesus is the only biblical method of baptism. There was a struggle in Genesis trying to build a name. God chose a man to begin constructing the eternal lineage and genealogy of that name by which all are saved. It's in baptism that we are buried with him and take on his name. The Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues, it is through the infilling of the Holy Ghost that this divided people, that their languages were confused, are brought together in covenant of Abra in the covenant of Abraham as God's chosen nation, peculiar people, holy nation, royal priesthood. John 11 and 45 through 53 says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did this. John makes a very clear distinction. He did this not, he did not say this of his own accord. But being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Verse 82 says, And not only for that, for the nation only. But also for, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. First Corinthians six and nine says, "Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral." nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. It's that we being Gentiles were part of those disinherited people. And we are now given a path to eternal life in communion with our Creator. We are grafted into the seed of Abraham. We become part of that inheritance as the children of God that were scattered abroad. Romans 8 and 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led of the, by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, 
father. So again, we you see even at creation, even in Babel, there is this fight over creating a name, doing it your way, doing it all on your own. God, what God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, and he tries to work with them after that. Well, it's not working. So he wipes the slate clean with a flood, tries to get them back on track with Noah. Didn't work. So God said, okay, fine. He disinherits all other nations. And he finds this man named Abram. And he says, through you, all families will be blessed. You jump to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And you see the fulfillment of what God told Abram, Abram that day. It's just amazing that there was such a struggle about making a name all throughout Genesis 1 to Genesis 11 until you see Abram step on the scene. And even, even then, Abram struggled he lied. He he did things that were not good. But even then, he 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 submitted himself. He had faith. You know that he Hebrews says, you know, his faith was accounted to him as righteousness. You know, we have all these struggles within us, and yeah, Babel, everything got. God finally said, "Look, I'm done." I'm going to put all this aside and I'm going, I'm going to go with the way to make sure that hu all humanity is reconciled back to me. But before I do that, I got to make sure that they get spread out so that I can choose this one man to make his name great. And through him, people will know my name. It's just amazing that we find so much types of foreshadowing in Genesis. Is it not? You know what's interesting too is that the way is the way is is how the early church chose to call themselves. Yeah. Right? They didn't call themselves Christians. And quite frankly, historically speaking, I don't know if the people who decided to finally call them Christians weren't necessarily the groups that were following the doctrines that we see in the book of acts. Absolutely. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, and, and I'm sure they did on some level, like if they were called that enough, I'm sure they accepted it on a, to a degree. Right. But like when Peter and James and John and even Paul, when they talked about themselves they referred to it as the way referring to the mm -hmm. name that was guiding them. And that was above them. I mean, that, which yeah, acts for absolutely is what we're seeing in the tower of Babel is this name. That is the way that they were going to rise themselves up to God's level by making a name for themselves. That was at God's level. Yeah. And 
you know, and that's how they were going to build a tower to heaven. It wasn't that they were building a tower to heaven. It's that they were declaring that they were that or that something that they had was that we can do it our way and that they can do it their way. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it reminds me again of um, was Isaiah 14 where Lucifer decides I'm going to exalt myself to the throne of God, make myself even with him. Well, yeah. And I mean, that, that's also another parallel exactly to the tower of Babel. I mean, He's going to raise himself up like, you know, in a tower. <laughs> he, he's going to, he's, I mean, we, we've went, this is our seventh episode of this series. And I just feel like we're seeing so many parallels together. Like, and some people may be like, well, I don't know how you can believe, you know, the Bible and it's ancient. It's all this. It's that it's been tainted by men and so on, but, you don't get this many parallels in one in, in one thing. I mean, just think of like a mystery novel, right? If you analyze a mystery novel to like preciseness, there's always going to be holes in that plot. Yep. Right? Like there's always going to be things that don't line up. You know, there's my kids love this show Bluey, right? And, and so there's, there's parent groups of parents who like it because it's a show they can tolerate. And that actually like makes them, it, it entertains them on some level. Right. And there's all these discussions about the house that the people live in or the dogs live in They're dogs. Okay. They're animated dogs. And every time somebody asks, they're like, it makes no sense. And everybody's just like, it's a cartoon. It's literally not intended to make sense. Like they've never attempted to make it consistent. And what I'm saying is, is when you write things, when you create things, there's just certain aspects of what it is that are not going to be consistent. The layout of a house in a piece of fiction is going to have problems the timeline of certain things, they end up having issues at some point because the more complicated it gets, even with one author, the more difficult it is to maintain that integrity of certain statements. So the thing is, is when you get to the Bible, right? There's so many interconnected things that reference each other so explicitly, especially when you understand the mindset of ancient cultures, because when we put them on our modern spreadsheets, we see issues sometimes, but when we interpret them the way that the people who spoke and wrote these words would have interpreted them. And we understand the audience they were speaking to, they line up far too directly for it to even make sense that different people wrote it. So like this last week I was talking to my pastor and, and something similar happened. And he was telling me he was really excited about this study that he read about. Um, and I wasn't going to be in a sermon. I teach Bible quizzing. So I didn't hear, I don't hear the Wednesday night messages live. And so he told me that they did this study about the probability of Jesus being born and living and the prophecies coming true. And yeah. so they did things like, you know, they, they figured out how many men were born in Bethlehem, 
right? And they did stuff like yeah. that. And they built this model of probability that all of these things, and they only got to like eight to 10 of them because there's only so many of them that can even be like quantified. But even just those few things that can be quantified made it just ridiculously like just utterly ridiculously probable that even those few things could happen. And my thought was, is, and when I was telling me this, my brain was just going, but like, just as impressively is that those uneducated fishermen wrote those four gospels that covered every messianic prophecy, you know, like, I mean, what is the likelihood of these dudes writing these writings separately over decades and it covers every single prophecy in the old testament like that in and of itself is beyond ability of humanity and and the reason i bring that up is 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 because i know it feels off topic but what i'm saying is that we see these parallels in the tower of babel we see them come up in isaiah we see them in the book of acts and we see them all over the bible all throughout and the reality is, is that when we really look at it and we understand who it was written to and how they were writing and what they were intending to mean by it, the, the way that these things line up is far too good for it to be anything but supernatural to human ability. Because we couldn't write this now and have it perfectly aligned the way that the Bible does. Like we couldn't get the best 40 writers on earth in a room writing it together and have as coherent of a story and a purpose and a meaning with the coherent symbolism all throughout as we have in the Bible. And that's using, you know, computers and everything else to keep it straight. I agree 100%. I mean, it's... It's just insane to me that every time we went back through and we've talked about each component that we've talked about with Genesis, and we always seem to just be coming back to the parallels, the the ideas, the and what's crazy to me is, and we're we're unfortunately kind of ending uh, next week. And we're kind of stopping at Genesis chapter 11 for a variety of reasons. But uh, if we went on, like I could even go into detail about how the uh, place where God, you know, you know, Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Um, well, you know, God takes Abram or Abraham uh, up to what was it? Mount, uh, it's not the place. It's not necessarily the place that he sacrificed Isaac. I don't, Isaac, I don't think. But he takes him up to this mountain, and according to to a Jewish tradition, God showed him a vision of Jerusalem, and God showed him the vision that he had. It's like the sixth time I've gotten all tingly listening to stuff. Like it, it's, it's so. Is so divinely ordered. You know, with Genesis, you're really seeing God's divine order, what he wanted. And when you look at the Bible and you read all these different components and prophecies and 
you know, parallels and tops and shadows and all that. It is so divinely ordered. It is insane. And that's why, yeah. that's why I'm like, I can't, I can't help but believe. Cause you don't, you don't come up with, yeah. you don't come up with something this exact, this precise without something divine, you know? And honestly, I think that's kind of a good place for us to stop. But, um, cause next week we're going to kind of lead off with what I stopped with here with repentance and salvation and seeing what it's like in Genesis. Uh, and I, I so wish that we could go forward and you know maybe do a little bit on Abraham, but maybe we'll come back to it either later this season or next season. But <laughs> at some point we'll come back to it. Yeah. We're long enough. We just, we didn't, the reality is, is we didn't want to get bogged down in the book of Genesis for a hundred weeks in a row. There's just there's so much stuff that we want to try and bite-size things. And so we'll be back. But next week, we're going to tie a nice bow on it. And and then we're going to move on to, to some new topics for a little while. So we're so excited for that. Be with us next week as we look at salvation in the first New Testament salvation, to be specific, in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. See you next week.